This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. At the age of four, Destiny Lamonte was diagnosed with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome a rare connective tissue disorder, considered the most severe form of EDS. As a result of her condition, Lamonte has contended with a long list of complications and underwent multiple surgeries. Nevertheless, she managed to earn a college degree in psychology and today provides support to people in crisis through an online counseling service. We spoke to Lamonte about her life with a rare condition for which there is no therapy, how she has navigated the complexities of the disease, and how she learned to advocate both for herself and others. Destiny, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to talk about vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, your experience with the condition, and your efforts to raise awareness about it and help others. Let's start with the condition itself. Some of our listeners may have heard of Ehlers-Danlos, but vascular Ehlers-Danlos, which is also known as EDS type 4, may not be something as familiar. What is it, how rare is it, and how does it manifest itself? What's the prognosis for someone with a condition? So vascular Ehlers-Danlos is kind of in its own little section outside of the usual type 1 and type 3 of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Type 4, we tend to manifest ourselves in our organs, which means we deal with aneurysms, dissections, ruptures of hollow organs. It's quite in its of, in and of itself. Um, you can deal with, you know, the most common symptoms are aneurysms and trying to keep your blood pressure and your heart rate down to prevent the ruptures of those aneurysms because there's nothing they can really do prophylactically or even surgically to coil the aneurysms or prevent them from rupturing. So it's a lot of prophylactic things to care for EDS because there is no cure. How does this differ from Ehlers-Danlos more broadly? We all know Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is a connective tissue disease. And no matter what form you have, it's severe. You can have type 3 where you're dealing with, you know, chronic joint dislocations, or you can have type 1 with a very difficult skin that healing. But when you have type 4, there's a cloud of anxiety over you at all times. You never know what's going to happen next. From one minute, you can be perfectly fine, and then the next minute, you're dealing with a life-threatening dissection. You're dealing with, you know, the cloud over your head of that anxiety that things can suddenly go wrong in the split of a second. And for myself, for example, I have three aneurysms, and I never know waking up that day if this is going to be my last day. I never know. And so you just try to keep in the back of your head, 
you know, that this is here, this is what I'm dealing with, but I'm going to try to keep pushing forward no matter what. You're not the first member of your family to, to be diagnosed with BEDS. What's been the family history? Actually, so yes, I'm the third. Um, but what tends to, that let us, for example, for myself, um, I had a colon rupture that led me to receiving my vasculiolysamous diagnosis. Um, my other family also dealt with a lot of the aneurysms and the dissection. That was kind of there. And they also had the typical facial features for a type 4. And it's not as prevalent now as it was then, but there's a specific facial feature, big eyes, thin lips, broad nose, etc., that tended to show the doctors, oh, hey, that's an idea for vasculiolysamous. But in my family specifically, it tended to manifest mostly in our heart and in our gut. was the biggest symptom for us. And, and you lost both your, your mother and brother to the disease, is that correct? That's correct, yes. How old were you when you were diagnosed, and how exactly were you diagnosed? When I was four years old, um, I was going around and really excited about some sort of preschool project that I had done, and I... If you know what a bear hug is, it's one of those really tight, you know, squeezed hugs. And I had a lot of pain in my abdomen. And shortly thereafter, I was isolated to a hospital in Wisconsin, where I grew up. And at that point, they found that I had a ruptured intestine. And we had to go through emergency surgery to try to repair that. And when they went in and they realized how thin exactly my colon and everything was, that's where, and of course, the family history, that's when they decided to go forward with testing. How, how much of a problem is it generally for patients with the condition to get a diagnosis? In general, it's very difficult. So I, quote-unquote, lucked out with being diagnosed early because of my family history and everything that happened to me. But a lot of the times when the diagnosis happens, it's actually too late for that person. It happens after the aneurysm has already ruptured or after the dissection has already bled out. And it's, it's horrible. It's sad because doctors just aren't aware of what EDS is, much less what type 4 is. I, I know you, you've alluded to this, and you've had a, a number of complications and concurrent health issues. Are, are these related to VEDS, or are they just coincidental? Um, in my case, I'm a little special so to speak. Um, but the main source of my issue is from vasculitis gamma. I had a ruptured intestine when I was younger, and I then proceeded to have two more ruptures of my colon after that, and which led to a colostomy, you know, in my later life. Um, however, I am also in a wheelchair. That was not directly related to Ehlers-Danlos. I was having a seizure, which is also not related to Ehlers-Danlos, um, and both of my hips dislocated, and when that happened, they did a surgery. But with our collagen and our organs and everything being so fragile, they had a hard time securing everything. And so when I went to stand up in rehabilitation, I fell and shattered the bottom part of my spine, which they tried to fix again. And, of course, it didn't work because vascular EDS, we can't heal, and we can't hold things in the positions that is vital to be able to hold and continue on. So all of my issues are definitely correlated with vascular EDS. might not be directly caused by it. For example, the fall, 
but everything else is definitely directly related and because of it. And as a result of that, that fall, the, the hip dislocations, you're in a wheelchair today? Yeah, I'm actually paralyzed from the waist down after that. So it was definitely an experience and an adjustment to make. So in, in terms of the number of doctors and the types of medications you use, can you give can you quantify that in some way? And how difficult is it to manage a, a medical team like that as a patient and, and and coordinate with them? From a patient perspective, it is so hard. It is so hard. One, I mean, you're managing and thinking of at least 10 doctors on your team because you need a, neurolo a neurologist, you're going to need a cardiologist, you're going to need a vascular, you need to have a surgeon, you need to have a GI. You have so many doctors and trying to get them to work together is difficult. And as, as someone that's newly diagnosed, I'm not, but for others who are newly diagnosed, putting that team together and then having the confidence and the courage to speak out to each one of those, doc those doctors and making them work together is so difficult. It is very difficult. I've been blessed with an amazing medical team, but I've also had to work on advocating for myself and advocating very strongly at times, very strong will, but ultimately it's my body, it's my health, and that's what I need to learn how to do. You just have to get that confidence and uh, keep pushing forward. That seems to be something you, you learned early on, the, the importance of being your own yeah. advocate. Why does that matter, and, and how can someone learn to do that for themselves? Oh, as far as how it matters, um, when I lived in Wisconsin, I'm now in Massachusetts with an amazing medical team. But when I grew up in Wisconsin, we didn't exactly have access to all of those areas and all of those specialties, much less the small town that I was growing up in. And as I grew up, my dad was trying to hand off the medical dependence to me so I could feel more independent and know more about my condition. And as he did that, I realized how flawed the system was because I'd be hearing this from one doctor, and then I would go see another doctor, and they would contradict what the other doctor said, and that annoyed me to everything. I couldn't stand that part. So I kind of slowly started to speak up for myself, and I learned and researched and learned, you know, the medical terms often seem to understand a little more as opposed to just, you know, the patient terms. And I just kept trying to push myself forward, despite how awkward it could be at times, because you know, they've gone through years and years of training and trying to, you know, reason with them having been only a patient. It was hard at first. But finally, they kind of clicked in with, oh, this is this girl's body and she actually knows more about her condition than I do. Let me actually listen to her. The other thing you, you seem to have been able to develop and, and recognize the importance of it is having a, a support system. Why does that matter, and what advice would you offer to, to someone else about building a, a support system? Not even just for medical conditions, but for anything. You need somebody that you can lean on when, not only when you're just emotionally drained. For example, as doctors, we have to have annual scans every year to look for aneurysms, to check, you know, coils and dissections, and if previous ones have grown. And when you're waiting for those results, you need to have somebody that you can call and, you know, have hope with. It's so important. And, you know, family might not be the easiest thing for everyone, which is why you always, what's great about the Internet is having a support group I created a few years ago to talk with other people who have been there and they get it. It's 
you would drive yourself crazy if you were trying to do this by yourself. You really would. There are commonalities between VEDS and, and EDS more broadly. There are places and, and organizations EDS patients can connect online, but you felt it was important that vascular EDS patients have a place to go to address their specific needs. You yeah. created it and managed a Facebook page. Why is that? Well, I was on a site when I was younger that was broadly for just Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And whenever I'd see somebody, a fellow type 4 would ask a question and, a you know, a person from, you know, who has type 3 replies back, oh, it's perfectly fine to have, you know, for example, colonoscopy. When in reality, for vectors, that is one of the most riskiest things you can ever do. And I really hated the contraindication with the medical advice that people were giving because, you know, it might be okay for a type 3 or type 1, but for VEDS, we require different care, and we require totally different things when it, when it comes to the doctors, different procedures, different ways for them to deal with, you know, what may seem like a common or um, natural thing to happen. It's never that way for VEDS. We need to, how do I explain it? They need to be more delicate, and that's why when I was 14, my, I was, was ranting on with my dad, and I was telling him, you know, this person can't do that. Why are they giving that advice? That's so wrong. He's like, well, then do something about it. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? He's like, create your own. And at the time, I laughed, but I ended up doing it. And, you know, we had six members, and I was super proud. And now here we are about, we're about 10, 11 years later, and now we're a community of over 6,000 people. And I didn't realize how much that group actually would help so many other people, not just myself. And now we can rely on those who have had the procedures and those who know the delicacy that comes with that. And they understand it now, and proper medical advice is given. It's been 21 years since you were initially diagnosed. Yeah. What do you think it's important for someone who's newly diagnosed to understand about the condition? The most important thing is you need to get a medical team together. You need, at, you know, the top three are cardiologists, GI and a vascular surgeon. It is the most important thing that you can do for yourself at that time. Second, you know, you need to get that support system in place. It's the most important thing that you can do is to have others that you can lean on, so not all the suite of, you know, the anxiety of beds and all the emotional stuff that comes with it, too. You need to be able to share that with someone else. And as far as how to go about doing that, the advocacy comes in again. You need to learn how to advocate for yourself. And, again, we have that group where... As we get a question, probably daily, what do I do now? I have this piece of paper that tells me, you know, that I have VEDS and now I don't know what to do. And my first suggestion always to everyone is to go forward and get that medical team in place. You do work. You, you have a degree in psychology and, and you work I for a, a crisis yeah. text line. I, I imagine yeah. your yeah. response to anyone who might text <laughs> with a problem would be, you think you've got problems. But... <laughs> One That's word, not the case. Uh, no. How did you come it, to do that type of work and, and want to do that type of work? Well, when I was younger, when I first, you know, started to really understand, so in my teens, I started to understand what VEDS actually is and everything that comes with it, the life-threatening, the all these words that were petrifying to, you know, a 15, 16-year-old kid, and I sought help. I asked, you know, to go to therapy for somebody that dealt with chronic illness and what the next step is. And my therapist recommended this line. So when I was waiting for a scan, I think I was in the emergency room, and 
you know, we thought that there was a bleed and things were petrifying. And my therapist had recommended this crisis line. And so I messaged in. And the importance of crisis line is we don't solve your problems. We don't give you advice. We do not tell you what to do. What we do is we empower you to make your own decision. We bring you from that, you know, hot moment to a cool calm. And they were able to do that for me. They were able to make me, like, calm down and, you know, realize that I couldn't do anything about what was happening right now. But I could change how I was currently handling it. So when I get a message online and, you know, somebody's struggling, I try to keep that in mind. That was me. And I wanted to give back after how much that, and I only spoke to the person one time, and they changed everything for me. And after that, I wanted to give back to my community. I wanted to help like they did. And little did I know that after my psychology degree, I actually was able to go for that line and help people just like they helped me. You have a, a reputation for being remarkably positive. Given <laughs> yeah. all the issues you deal with on a, on a daily basis, how do you maintain that positivity and what advice would you offer other patients, not with just VEDS, but other rare conditions? So my dad was my rock. He was everything for me. And after I was diagnosed and we lost my mother, he started something called a rose Every day before I go to bed, he'd tell me, you know, what was the best part of your day, being the rose. And I'd find that, like, these things, Dad, there was nothing good about today. I'm in the hospital. Like, what in the world could be good? He's like, are you still alive? He was like, well, yeah. He's like, well, that's more than some people can say from today. I was like, okay. And then he'd be like, what's your thorn? The worst part of my day. And I would name something, and then he'd go back to that rose. And so, growing up, I always had to look for something on the bright side, even if it was the smallest of things, which obviously, at times, it was very small. But that where I got my positivity from was just, I had to. My dad wasn't going to let me mope around. He's like, have this. You can either sit in your bed and cry and not live a life, or you can move forward and still live a life and, you know, learn to deal, pretty much. <laughs> and that's what I did. And it just carried on, and it's made all the difference, all the difference for me. Any advice you'd offer other folks with, with rare conditions? <sighs> Rather than just the support system and learning to advocate for yourself, I've you know, I just say, one, I'm sorry, and two, you need to find your rose and your thorn every day. Once you find that rose, you will find the smallest of things can be a possibility and can be a positive thing. It can be literally the tiniest thing, like, you know, we have cheese in the fridge, and cheese is my favorite thing. Like, you just have to find something so small that no matter what is going on in your life at that moment, there is something out there that is, can be positive. Destiny Lamonte, VEDS <laughs> patient advocate. Destiny, thanks so much for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.